1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. May God bless his word, and let's, let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of, of knowing you and knowing your word, and for the aid of the Holy Spirit as we uh, interpret and apply the word today as God's people are exhorted. Father, I pray today that you would feed your flock that you would minister to the saints today, and uh, Lord, save the lost. We pray that you would be glorified in everything that happens here. Thank you for the thrill. Thank you for the privilege of being saved and having our sins forgiven and our names written in the book of life. And Father, I pray that we would uh, be faithful till Jesus comes in leading others to you. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated. Part two today of a series on covering sin, and um, it initially was just going to be a, a one one message, one day message, and it's going to be now a three three part series, uh, covering sin, compromise or compassion. Can you hear me? Something's oh. Yeah, it's not around my ear. That's <laughs> oh, it's in my pocket. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Sorry. Despise technology, but but I need it sometimes. Apparently, thank you, Talala. Okay. Anyway, so um, last Sunday, the, the title of the message is again covering sin. And we started out last week looking at, you know, there's sometimes you read your Bible and there are things that seem to contradict other things you read in your Bible. Uh, and I want to assure you, there are no contradictions in the Bible, but there are limitations with our understanding. Uh, I, I believe me, I've, I've, I have heard, I want to say every single apparent contradiction, but they're always coming up with new ones. Uh, but I, I don't take them lightly. Because if there is a contradiction in the Bible, that's a very serious thing. Uh, and every time I've studied these apparent contradictions, there is always a very clear, feasible, understandable response to it. But most people 
Um, don't go past that surface. In fact, most people will hear that. There's a contradiction in the Bible. What is it? Let me know so I can use it against my Christian friends. And they never go any deeper. And you know, they're not, they're not going to learn anything. But I, I have learned that when there is an apparent or a seeming contradiction in the Bible, if I will just dig deeper, I, I'm going to learn a lot. And, and that's happened over and over again. Uh, in fact, I, I have more confidence now in the Word of God than I ever did before because I have looked at every sundry attack on it and have been able to just clearly see that, that, that that's fluff. You know, the, the devil's very active. So one of those apparent contradictions is, and again, it's, it's so, so many of these quote-unquote contradictions are really very surfacy. Here's one of them. The Bible talks a lot about covering sin. Sometimes it seems to be pro-covering sin. Sometimes it seems to be anti-covering sin. In other words, our text today, look at Proverbs 17 and verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh what? Love. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. So in that verse, is that a good thing or a bad thing to cover, cover transgression? It's a good thing. It's love, right? Then there's another proverb that says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. There it's a bad thing to cover it up, right? So now you have all your atheists saying, See that? The Bible contradicts itself. Bye-bye, Bible. And they'll never go any further. But folks, there are so many things that we can learn. And, and what we've seen is this. Um, covered. Last week we looked at covered sin and the atonement. In other words, when you look back over history and you realize that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins, then how could anyone, how could any Old Testament saint be right with God? Because they, they did the sacrifices every year, they'd shed the animal's blood, they'd offer it to God. And if the blood of bulls and goats, according to Hebrews chapter 10, can never take away sin, then how, how can a person be... That means the, uh, nobody in the Old Testament ever got saved, right? Wrong. And we learned of something last week called the atonement, which was a translation for the word reconciliation, that Old Testament saints were reconciled to God through their faith in the sacrificial system only because God foresaw, or the Bible says the Scripture foresaw, uh, you know, Jesus Christ and the gospel. In fact, he preached the gospel to Abraham in Galatians, I think it's Galatians 3.8, it says the scripture foresaw something about the gospel, preaching the gospel to Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Isn't that amazing? Abraham heard the gospel in an early form when God promised him, I'm going to bless all nations through you, and it would be through him that the Messiah would come. And so, only because of what Jesus Christ did was God able to look at those insufficient animal sacrifices. He was able to look ahead to Calvary, say, okay, you're putting faith in the blood, shed blood. I'm going to send my son down the road. You are reconciled to me by your faith. It's an amazing thing. And, and so the atonement is often referred to as a covering. That it wouldn't totally wash away sin, only the blood of Christ could do that. And so that's why they had every year to do the sacrifices and there was a remembrance of sins every year. So that 
imperfect system was a symbol or a, a shadow of good things to come. And so it was a covering. Now, praise the Lord, you and I are living on the other side of Calvary. Our sins aren't just covered, folks. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. Now, here's how the progression was going to go. Today, my second point, so the first was covered sin and the atonement. And then the next point was going to be covered sin and confession. And then the third point was going to be covered sin and love. And I realized that this Tuesday is... What's this Tuesday, men? Serena's birthday. <laughs> Mike, you might as well leave. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Mike. What? So what is this Tuesday? February 14th. February 14th. Thank you, Dave. And everybody knows what that is. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day, right? And, and I know some of you guys, I don't know, maybe Valentine's Day has pagan roots but you better celebrate it with your, lo- your love if you have a love. Um, and so it's a great, you know, I always like to, if I can, pick a theme. And so since I'm preaching on covered sin and one of the topics is love, I'm going to do that today. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about covered sin and confession. So we're a little mixed up than I originally was planning. Uh, but we are going to talk today about covered sin and love. And we see here. In Proverbs 17 and verse 9, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. So, if you and I, in the right context, understand there is a time to overlook people's faults, people's transgressions. Now again, sometimes that can be a compromise. That's why the title, Covered Sin, Compromise or Compassion. Next week we're going to talk about when it's a compromise. Because there's a time when we, we shouldn't cover sin. But in this context and today, we are going to look at when is it appropriate. In fact, it's not only appropriate. It is an act of love to cover a transgression. And it's so important that you and I understand so that in those times when we're supposed to be covering transgression, that we're not holding it against people Because the opposite now is in Proverbs 17 and verse 9. It says, but in the middle. So we're going to contrast. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But the opposite is also true. He that repeateth the matter. That's the opposite of covering a transgression. He that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. And that's, of course, the opposite of love. That's an act of hatred. That's an act of unkindness. In a situation where God says, you need to overlook that fault. And you and I say, no, I'm not going to overlook that fault. Then you and I are not being motivated by love. So there's three things we need to do in this context. That there are the, the times, when should I overlook someone else's faults? Three things we're going to ask ourselves We're going to look at three scriptures that articulate this idea that in the right context, covering sin is the act of love. So first of all, we need to examine our motives. Number two, we need to examine our words. And number three, we need to examine our experience. And all of this is in the context of, and it should be important to you, when do I need to overlook other people's faults? 
Because think of the flip side. There are going to be times when God wants other people to overlook your faults. And so it goes both ways. So let's look at examining our motives. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. Very clearly, in this context, uh, the act of love is, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. So, if you and I are motivated by love, a genuine concern and care about the well-being of another person, we genuinely love people, then you and I are going to, at the right time, cover a transgression. As opposed to, not only not covering it, but spreading it far and wide. He that repeateth the matter, separateth very friends. Now this goes back, I recently preached on the tongue, the power of words. I forget what the title was, but I want to remind you again that our words are so very powerful. And depending on the course we go, every time you and I are reminded or have an opportunity to share something we know that would be a blemish upon another person, we come to a crossroads. And and we're going to either choose love and not repeat the matter, we're going to cover it, or we can choose not to love them and we can and we can repeat the matter and and end up destroying friendships. And that's happened a lot, hasn't it? Where people have lost friends because someone else could not keep their mouth shut when they should have. 1 Corinthians 13, you don't need to turn there. That's the love chapter. Well, not really. Remember? Anybody remember what the real love chapter is? John. Okay. Somebody else said it. 1 John 4. God bless you guys. You get extra credit. All around, everybody gets extra credit. Remember, 1 John chapter 4 uses the word love like twice, more than twice as much as, as 1 Corinthians 13. But don't, if someone says 1 Corinthians is a love chapter, don't jump on them and say, no, it's not. It, it's the best chapter that describes um, what love is like. And of course, the 1 John 1 talks about true love with Jesus, God's love. But again, 1 Corinthians 13 is a love channel, channel, chapter rather. And it says this. Listen to some of these verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Let me back up for a minute before we read it. Have you ever heard someone quote the scripture? And they said, love is patient, love is kind. You know where that comes from? 1 Corinthians 13, 4. But if you look at the King James Version, it doesn't say love is patient and love is kind, but it does. You see the word charity is the same word agape. And the King James translators would translate that same Greek word in many other places as love. And the word for suffereth long, it's actually one Greek word, is one of the many Greek words that is translated patience. So it is not wrong to say that 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 is saying love is patient. Charity or love suffereth long. It's patient. Now look at verse 7. Or you're not there. Just listen then. Love beareth all things. That's interesting. The Greek word that's translated beareth literally has, it's the word that's also translated in other places to cover. Love covers all things. And at the end of verse 7, love endureth all things. And that's the Greek word hupomeno, which is another one of the Greek words that's also translated patience. So like three times in the, the love chapter, The Bible talks about the fact that love suffers long. It's patient. Love 
covers all things, just like we've read in Proverbs 17, 9, and love endures all things. It's patient. We put up with other people's failures. Do you do that? Do you do that? Uh, But remember, other people have to do it for you too, right? We always, in fact, I read in a book, uh, there's a book called um, Love and Respect on Marriage. Great book, very helpful insight. And the writer said this, he said, he said, we easily see what is done to us before, we, before what we are doing to our mate. We easily see what is done to us before we see what we are doing to our mate. And that's true. Not just in marriage, but that's, that's true in life. Wouldn't you admit? We easily see what is done to us before we ever even think about what we do to other people. Please understand, that is true. And that means that, number one, when somebody does something that affects you, when their failure, their lack of being whatever they should be, affects us, that tends to be the biggest thing on our radar. But don't forget, again, it goes the other way. And we often see what other people, how they affect us, before we, it even dawns on us that our actions might have the same effect on other people. And it does. You see, the, the more selfish we are, the more we cannot put ourselves in another person's shoe. That's why Paul had the right to the Philippians. And he said this, because it doesn't come natural. He said, look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. The golden rule. As you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. See that first part. As you would that others would do unto you. That's what we focus on. Can you believe that person did that to me? Can you believe they said that to me? Don't they know how that affected me? That's what we hear first. But what we got to do is, before we speak, we need to think, okay, how would I want someone, how would I want this to be communicated to me if I'm going to say it to them. And that's not natural, folks. That's why too many times we open our mouth and we have to pray like David, Lord, set a, set a watch before my mouth. You know, we need that guard. Uh, James chapter 1, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In other words, let's think about how we, our actions affect other people before we start reacting to what their actions immediately do to us. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Why don't you turn there, please. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. This was our text. Uh, the last verse, we read verses 1 through 8. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Peter says this, And... Above all things. Would you call that a priority? It's very important. He's saying above all things. Have fervent charity. That's that Greek word agape which means love. Have fervent charity. Fervent love among yourselves. For charity, agape, love, shall cover the multitude of sins. Now in this case, would you say that covering sin is good or bad? It's obviously good, right? Because it's an act of love. If we have fervent love among ourselves, 
then love or charity is going to cover a multitude of sins. What's that saying? That is saying that there is a time where it is not only appropriate, but it is necessary to overlook people's faults. And you know what? I've made this statement before, but I've marveled over the years. We've been here 30 years. And I've known a lot of pastors that have left a lot of churches and a lot of churches that have a, had a lot of splits. And when I hear the... That always... My radar is up. I want to hear, you know, if a church splits or a church closes or there's division in a church, I want to find out why because I want to learn from that. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard another scenario where it all started with someone having a problem with someone else and they said this. And I'll hear it and I'll be like, oh... We've had that happen here, you know, many times. I've heard something, I'm like, you know, well, wait, wait a minute, we had that happen at our church, why didn't that split our church 20 different ways? And the answer, because of love. Because of love. We, and again, folks, there's a, we're not talking about compromise, we'll talk about that next week. But folks, there are multitudes in any relationship, in a family, in a marriage, in a church, you've got to do a lot of overlooking. Now, we're not talking about criminal activity. But there are times, again, love covers, or charity covers, a multitude of sin. Now, again, let me just kind of make a caveat. The Bible makes it very clear that, and we'll talk more about this next week. But, for example, a crime, Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1 talks about being a witness to a crime taking place. And in that text, it, it challenges us, don't be quiet. You know, you can be an accessory to a crime if you're aware of it and you keep it quiet. So if it's criminal activity, you know, we're obligated to share. Uh, and there it's, it would definitely be wrong. If someone came along and said, all right, I know, I know that person did that, committed that very serious crime, but I want to be, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, so I'm not going to say anything. No, that's, that's where it's wrong. In fact, even in the... Um, the traditional Protestant marriage ceremony, uh, and I usually will do a traditional uh, marriage ceremony. It comes actually, the, the traditional uh, marriage ceremony that we've used, that I have used at our wedding, comes from the Anglican Book of Prayer, Common Prayer. Same, same source as the King James Version. It all goes back to that time. But there's a saying in there that I've never said. And you'll hear this reenacted many times where in part of the wedding ceremony, the, the minister will say this. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, how many of you had this said at your wedding? I'm curious. Should any present know of any reason that this couple should not be joined in holy matrimony, speak now or forever hold your peace. That's, from, that's the traditional man. Did anyone have that said at theirs? Okay, some of you did. Did anybody speak up? No, okay, good, good. I'm just curious, you know. I have never said that. Um, but again, that's the traditional marriage ceremony. And that you think about that. You know, two people are getting married together. And by the way, probably you don't want to wait until the wedding ceremony day. If you say, I know some things about that groom, or I know some things about that bride, I'm going to wait till that day, and then I'm going to ruin everything. You might want to, but, but it, the, impo- the point is important. If there's a, something serious, but, you know, because nuptials are very important. When you avow a vow, you know, when you enter a marriage covenant, that's very important. In fact, what does the Bible says? Better not to vow than to vow a vow and not pay it. So, you know, if 
if there's something ahead of time that you need to know about, it needs to be brought out. Right? So there are, there are times when it is not appropriate to cover sin. But we're not talking about crime. We're not talking about serious things. Um, we are talking about all of our feebles and foibles. Yes, our transgressions. Things where we are not perfect. And I remind you, remember what Spurgeon said, if any, if any man uh, point blame at you, do not be mad at him because you are worse than he thinks. Remember that? And anyone that has an honest assessment of their own position is going to realize, listen folks, there's a lot of things that we all do wrong or that you know, not one of us is perfect. And our mates have to put up with a lot of junk. And, you know, it goes both ways. Don't forget that. You know, when you got a mate that thinks, I'm the one that puts up with all the junk, and this man married or this woman married a perfect person, well, then you need to step back and examine it. You know, we all have that. That's why it is so important that you realize that love covers a multitude of transgressions. I shared a while back. This was a blessing. This was last year in uh, World Magazine. It, uh, we found out about a couple, or I read about a couple whose last name was Castle, Dwight and Stephanie Castle from Alabama, I believe Montgomery, Alabama. And they had, uh, they had just last year, I believe it was, where they had conjoined twins. And so they came to one of the best places in America to deal with that, CHOP. And, uh, and they interviewed them. And these are, this is a pastor and his wife. So Dwight uh, Castle is a pastor. His wife Stephanie is a pastor's wife. And they were interviewing them because, you know, how hard is that? I I can't imagine. And so when when they were interviewed, Dwight, the pastor, said this. He said, because when when first they were pregnant, they did the, the ultrasound and all, they found out that it was conjoined twins. What do you think the medical establishment counsels them to do first? Well, you want to consider abortion. That's like the first choice these days. And so he responded to that. He said, Discontinuing the pregnancy was not an option for us. Um, it didn't even enter our mind. But, Dwight says, he, he admits feeling hopeless. So they got this major challenge. And he said, I was trying to believe the goodness of God in this. He was trying to believe the goodness of God in this. He said, I believe in His power. I believe in His ability to save. I believe in His sovereignty over everything. But how is this good? He struggled. You ever done that? Well, his wife Stephanie, she says, I struggled to believe God was doing a good thing. And so she shared that with one of her dear sisters in her church. She said, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I, I don't see how this is a good thing. I can't understand it. And what blessed me was the response. And what, what could have been the response. Can you imagine that? Imagine you're going through a serious trial. And you share with someone, I'm really having a hard time seeing God's goodness and I'm just really struggling. <gasps> oh, I'm going to go down the church. So-and-so, so-and-so's faith is wavering. They're about ready to quit on God. We need to pray for them. Oh no, this is serious. I'm afraid they're going to go astray. But instead, she said, she shared her doubts to a fellow church member and the friend told her this. And this, this is covering a transgression and seeking love. Her friend said, because she said, I'm, real, I'm having a hard time believing in God's goodness right now. And her friend said, 
She said, that's okay. I'll believe for you. I love that. I love that response. Now, I know that you cannot vicariously believe for someone else. You know, if, if that was the case, we'd be vicariously believing for all our unsaved relatives. But you get the idea. That is someone that was saying, listen, I understand you're struggling. Your faith is weak. But I'm not going to condemn you right now. I'm going I'm to walk alongside you and bear up your burden. And folks, that is what is absolutely critical amongst God's people in every scenario. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10, please. Proverbs chapter 10. So we have to examine our motives. Number two, we have to examine our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And again, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, Who can know it? In other words, it's, it's hard to understand your own deceitful heart. But the more aware we are that we have deceitful hearts, the more um, prepared we will be for God to show it to us. Now, you know, we need to move away from, and I know usually when people say, well, God knows my heart. And we always say that in, God knows my heart is just sincere, pure as the driven snow. You know, it, when we talk about that, like, well, God knows my heart, and we're justifying ourselves, I want to remind you that, yeah, God does know our heart, and it's deceitful. And sometimes we may think we're, our motives are totally pure. And God said, oh, no, you're not above board here. But if you and I are not understanding that our heart is deceitful, we're going to be deceived. So look at, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 10. Sorry, let me get there. Proverbs chapter 10. And I want you to look at verse 12. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes. Now this is like the flip side of Proverbs 17.9, which said, he that covers a transgression seeks love. He that separates a matter, he that repeateth a matter separates friends. Now it's flipping it around. Proverbs 10 and verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So it starts with the hatred. What does hatred do? When our heart is not right and we have ill will towards others, it's easy for us to stir up strife. How many times have you heard a bad report about somebody you did not like? And it was juicy. And it felt good. First of all, because you don't like that person, it affirmed, I knew that person was no good. Right? And how many times then have you been tempted to pass that along? Oh, of course, with nothing but the purest of motives, so we can have everyone pray for this wicked, evil person. Right? You know, isn't that what happens? But what does the Bible say? Look at verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife. The opposite. Love covers all sin. I submit to you that every time you and I come to a, a, a conversation in our lives where somebody, a bad report is being brought up about someone, 
you and I, and if we know something about that, if we know, you know, if we have the opportunity to say something bad, we are at a crossroads. Are we going to show love and keep our mouth shut? Do we really need, do we really need to badmouth somebody? Do we really need to slander them? I submit to you that when you and I keep quiet and we have some juicy bit of tidbit of dirt against them, we are seeking love. But hatred stirs up strife. So which one is you? I want you to think about this. James, remember what James says. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And then what does James say? My brethren, these things ought not so to be. We ought not to be praising God out of one side of our mouth and slandering people out of the other. And yet, oh, it is so easy to do. It's like wildfire. It's, it's very catchy. I want to share something that um, for decades I had been slandering two guys, and it really didn't matter because they're dead. They died over 100 years ago. But for decades I have slammed two guys named Brooke and Fenton. These were evil men, very evil men. And I would teach it. I would say these men are evil. Not that I had read anything that these men wrote. But I read from people I trusted who said these were very evil, wicked men. Now at the same time, I, so I, I slammed Brooke and Fenton. And yet, I magnified Desi and Fred. I'm speaking in kind of cryptic terms here. I'm not talking about Desi Arnaz. But I I elevated Desi and Fred as if these guys did no wrong ever, ever. And again, it wasn't because I had read anything that these men had done. But people I trusted said these were evil. Now I want you to think about this. The Lord's constantly showing me, you know what, that's not a Berean. I tell you folks, don't take my word for it. You need to be a Berean. Remember what the Bereans do? The Bereans search the scriptures daily. They were skeptical at what Paul said. He had to prove it. And I realized that. You know what? You know the, one of the things we talked about with truth? Truth never fears being questioned. And then this. Truth is consistent with itself. And I, the more I'm learning about these four men, you cannot slam the two and praise the others because that is majorly inconsistent. Now I'm speaking we're going to be in our Bible study down the road we're going to be talking a lot about what I'm speaking cryptically about. But it is so important. I want to challenge you. You cannot condemn your Catholic friends and relatives for blindly following their leaders if you and I do the same thing. And I'm telling you, I just Several authors that I respected, I took their word for it. And so I ran with it. And I realized, what kind of a Baptist is that? We can't be taken. We've got we to have that attitude of the Berean. You prove it. Because now I know these guys have been long dead, but you know what? There's going to be a time when I'm long dead. And I don't want people slamming me, especially after I'm gone. 
So if any of you talk bad about me after I'm gone, I'm coming back. You know, I, I know I can't. I can't do that. And neither can these other people. So we have to be so careful. Remember, out of the same mouth, we bless God and then we curse men. You and I have to be so careful. Remember what the Bible says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You and I have a job to, to protect other people's reputation until we know definitely otherwise. That's what love does. Last point, examine your experience. So examine your motives, examine your words. Hatred stirs up strife. Uh, you know, we've got to be careful that we're not the ones that are stirring up strife. And then we need to examine our experience. Listen to this. Psalm 103 and verse 10 says this. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You know who covers your sin? God does. God does. Now, if you've been saved, again, you've been reconciled to God. We looked at that last week. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God has not dealt with you the way you deserve. God has not dealt with me the way I deserved. And I say, glory, hallelujah. And we must never forget that. Remember the story about the, the man that owed the king an un, unimaginable amount of money and he couldn't pay it? And he begged the king for mercy and the king forgave him everything? Then that same guy turns around and finds some, someone that owes him a whole lot less and he doesn't show mercy? We, we've got to examine our experience. Have you, forgive, have you received forgiveness of God do you realize what a huge debt has? This, the slate's just been wiped clean. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. To this day, if I got what I deserved, I, I'd be burning in hell right now. I would. And so I, again, but we tend to see what's done to us before we see what we're doing to others. We need a good dose. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul uses the Romans as an example. He's, he's dealing with the Jew and Gentile issue. And he's, he kind of sets up, first he's talking about the condemnation of the Gentiles in chapter 1. And then he's, he turns all of a sudden to the Jews in chapter 2. Who at this point, he's, he's already realizing because he was one of them. He's already realizing that they're sitting there like disgusted at the, the Gentiles. Because they didn't have the law. They were not morally, out, outwardly moral people. And so he's counting on the fact that the Jews are sitting there like, oh, these dis-. he just listed a bunch of sins in the end of chapter 1 that would, the, the, the Jews would despise. And then he turns on them and say, how about you? You who condemn others and you do the same thing in your heart. That's the idea. And he says, well, you, you treasure up wrath under the day of wrath. In other words, you're no better than them. You, you must have forgotten that, that you're also a sinner. And when you and I come face to face with our own sin, it is a day of reckoning. And it puts things in perspective. I, there was a sin as a young man that I covered for many years. I want to share this with you. I've shared it a long time ago. Got a lot of new people. Um, but I want to share with you that when I was a young kid, my brother had a really nifty 10-speed bike. It was, a, it was a green Schwinn, and, and I could hardly get up on it because it was so much. He's taller than me. He's older than me, and my brother had one cardinal rule. I was not allowed to ride his bike. He was just mean. I love my brother, but um, 
you know, I, I don't, I've asked him many times, and I just don't touch that bike. Then one, one year, one week, I think it was he went to band camp, played the trumpet. And guess what? He left his bike in the, in the shed. And I used to always go up to a, about a mile walk to an elementary school where a group of us would always play street hockey. It was just something I did every day. Every day I'd walk up with my hockey stick and my stuff, play street hockey, come home. And this week was awesome because I could take my brother's bike and he wouldn't be the wiser. So I got on that Schwinn, drove to Glen Acres Elementary School, and I played for hours. And then, because I was in the habit of just walking and walking, I forgot that I rode his bike there. And I put it off on the side, didn't even think about it. So I walked home like I did. And then a couple days later, my brother comes home. I'm totally oblivious to it. And for some reason, he went up to the shed, and it wasn't there. And for some reason, he came right to me. I don't know why. (laughs) He said, Steve, where's my bike? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man. And I did what every wicked sinner does when confronted. And I immediately went into covert mode. And he probably knew, you know, he probably knew, like, you are lying through your teeth. I said, I don't know. What are you looking at me for? I don't know where your bike is. And like as soon as I got away from him, I ran up to the elementary school. And guess what wasn't there? The bike. It was stolen. Somebody got a free, nice Schwinn out of the thing. Well, I never, I mean, that was just, I kept that under wraps for years. I mean, you know, uh, why would I bring that up to my brother and give him an opportunity to, you know, it'd be doomed. So I kept it quiet. And then I got saved at the age of 17. And then a few years after that, all of a sudden, I start thinking, you know what? You need to get things right. It's kind of a Zacchaeus moment. Remember Zacchaeus? You know, you had to get off the tree, go get right all those people you wronged. And I just started having a guilt about it. And oh, now I'm an adult now. I'm married. Isn't that like, it's under the blood. Isn't there like a, um, what do they call that? The statute of limitations to stealing bikes. Isn't there something like that? Well, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. And so I saved up money. I, I, think I, I, uh, I think I collected enough money where he could buy a replacement bike. And once I had the money, I sent him a letter. And I confessed the sin. And I told him, you know, I, I presented the gospel because I thought, what an opportunity. And I gave him a check for whatever it was. So I got right with my brother. You know. But that wouldn't have happened. Uh, it, it, it was just natural for me to cover my sin. Just, it's natural for all of us. But when God works in our life, He brings us to the end of ourselves. And we we come to the light that our deeds may be made manifest that they're they're of God. So next week we'll pick up with this idea of of when it's wrong to cover a sin and when and when not is it appropriate to confess? Who do we confess to? All that. We'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that... You not only covered our sins, but you washed it. You removed it as far as the east is from the west. And our sins and our iniquities you will no longer remember. And we just rejoice in that. And Father, we pray for folks that have not had forgiveness of sins. Pray for folks that have not been washed in the blood. That today would be their day of salvation. That they would come to the cross, humbly kneel themselves, kneel, bow themselves as sinners and receive complete forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you 
that it is not up to our good works. We could never be good enough. We could never do enough good works. But he did it all on Calvary. And we praise you for that. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.